Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick and with me this week I have club chairman and East Midlands section secretary John Griffiths and board member and Mito registrar David Faithful. I'm sure episode 25 must be some sort of anniversary, but given that we started weekly and went fortnightly a few months ago, I've no idea what sort of anniversary it is. Anyway, to celebrate whatever sort of anniversary it might be, we decided to tie in this episode with the cover story of the February issue, which if you don't have it already, should be with you any day now. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon, Guy. Good afternoon. One of the big pieces of news over the last couple of weeks or so has been the the finalisation of the PSA-FCA merger and the emergence of, of Stellantis. And there's obviously been a, a lot of chatter on the Facebook forums and other places about what that means. So I thought we'd spend half an hour or so just discussing what we know and, and I guess what we don't know at the moment. But I thought I'd start with some of the some of the things that I've seen on the, the Facebook groups and, and elsewhere and just, just get your views on, on some of them. So the first one, I guess, is will we all be driving a Stellantis from the end of next year? <laughs> it, it almost feels like that, but <laughs> by account, Stellantis is, is, you know, is the group's name. So we're not going to actually have Stellantis as badged on the vehicles, but um, you can bet your life underneath future vehicles. We're going to see a lot more of an amalgamation of, of platforms coming. So there'll be a lot, uh, a lot like VW group in particular has done. There'll be a, a lot of, cost to be saved across all of the brands by uh, using shared components so yeah in a way we probably will be driving a Stellantis but no but no more so than we're currently driving an FCA yes I think you're right there yeah just the same concept really only on a bigger scale I mean Stellantis is gigantic you're looking at 400 I think it's around 400,000 employees you know building cars in 30 countries it's it's humongous absolutely gigantic it is the four, fourth largest car manufacturer in the world yeah yeah absolute whopper and so many brands um and that's probably going to be the big challenge is uh, although uh, the boss carlos tavares has been saying you know all brand all of the brands have their place um there's got to be some questions around that surely and we'll, we'll come back to that later on because some of them literally have a place um others have a have a niche or two um, but there's also a huge amount of overlap in the in the 14 brands. And, and looking at that brand portfolio, David, I, one again, one of the things that I've seen repeatedly said is that this is the end of Alpha. Um, what's your view on that? To be honest, I think it's the beginning of the new evolution of Alpha. I don't see it as the end at all. I think Alpha is a fabulous brand with uh, great heritage, both in racing and, and in production cars. And I think I think there's enormous value in that. And I think as we move forward um, in automotive, I think the value that will be placed on their history and their heritage will become a real differentiator. So, so I sort of feel like Alpha's been not quite in the doldrums, but they've just been sort of treading water for a while. We had the Giulia and Stelvio. They're fabulous killed off the Mito, now Giulietta 4C. And it and we are all just sort of on tenterhooks for the Tonale. And I think what this will do is sort of reinvigorate Alfa Romeo rather than risk it, I think. Yeah, it certainly opens the door. If you look at the portfolio brands, which we'll, we'll do in more detail in a minute, they all do fit into areas. There's a lot of overlap in, in some of those areas. 
but I wouldn't say there's anybody else really that is in the same niche that Alpha are in that sort of sporting executive segment, if you like. For me, I think the the one interesting aspect is that does that create that niche for Alfa Romeo? Are they the executive sporting, you know, edging closer and closer to Maserati? Um, and therefore, does this signify the end of the small Alfa Romeo or not? So I think for me, at least as a, as a huge fan of the Mito and the Giulietta, that sort of brand placement, their positions um, within the group, does that mean Alfa doesn't drop down to the smaller, you know, ABC segment cars? Um, or can it still have a role in those in those segments alongside brands like Citroen, like DS, like um, Opel and so forth? That's the question for me. It's really. Well, and, and when you look at other companies in that niche, if you look at Audi, BMW and Mercedes in particular, to me, BMW and Mercedes both play in those smaller car niches. But Audi has been much less successful below the, the A3. And I wonder if part of that is because you, you get cannibalization with Volkswagen in a way that Mercedes and BMW don't really have to worry about. Yeah, I think that's probably true, actually. I think um, when you look at the the different models that those German brands have, there's a lot of similarity. And I, I would say that, wouldn't I? You know, as a fan of Italian cars, all German cars look the same. Of course they do. Um, but when you, when you do compare them up close, uh, that cannibalization, that sort of... Um, that sort of stealing each other's market share and what have you seems really prevalent. And we, we don't suffer from that at the moment. Um, you know, somebody who wants to buy a Fiat 500 will buy a Fiat 500. Um, they probably wouldn't have bought a small Alpha. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting how that pans out. That's right. And, of course, one of the reasons for having a multi-brand strategy in the first place is it's always better if somebody's not absolutely sure they want to buy one of your brands to have that sale cannibalised by them buying another one of your brands rather than going to the competition. It's just going to be interesting to see how Stellantis handles that. It will. And I think the the key thing of mentioning Maserati, of course, um, it transpires that a lot of the models that were on the old plan uh, from four years ago now, I think, under Marcioni was for some, you know, very sexy high-end machines to, to have Alfa Romeo badges on them. And that's going to Maserati. And mm. um, it's left us just looking forward at the moment to... Tonali, which looks like it's going to be here with us in the UK early next year, and then potentially the small SUV, the B uh, segment SUV, uh, which initially was going to be linked with a, a baby Jeep, but more and more I'm reading linked to uh, pla a platform share with a with a PSA platform along the the lines of um, the uh, E2008. So it looks like Alpha may be being positioned into that lower market area. But who knows? Yeah. And I, I guess that if we if we talk about the Mito in particular, I guess the challenge with the Mito is it it does compete with things like a 208 GTI or I guess a, a mm. Corsa a stretch. But there are there are other hot hatches in the group in a way that there isn't another Julia Quadrifolio anywhere else. That's right. You, you look at DS brand, they're trying to push, really push that slicer for Citroen as, as a sporting luxury uh, thing as well. And obviously the, the, D, the old DS3 took a, a whopping great market share of its own, slap bang up against Mito of old. Although the, the DS seems to be heading more for luxury and away from away from yeah. sporting, which is, right. is interesting. 
You're right. Yeah, they want to. They, want, they really want that uh, categorised as a, as a luxury thing. Yeah. As they're now mentioning Lancia. Yeah. Well, Lancia is interesting. I was thinking about that earlier on. I think the reason that Lancia probably is is positioned as luxury and only sold in Italy is Italy's probably the only market where a wealthy person living in a a, a town like Luca with tiny streets hmm. needs a small car, but still wants to have a car that's as well equipped as their you know the the big car they've got at their country estate so it kind of makes sense but only in one market on the small cars though i mean <clears throat> the cars like the c3 and like the the peugeot 208 they are really good little cars you know they've got they've really sorted mm. their technology they've sorted their pure tech engines and so on and i think that it is going to be a challenge i think to for us to within such a broad a number of brands to coexist in the small segments. I'm not. I'm not saying we can't do it, and I'm, I'm certainly not saying we shouldn't. Um, mm. But they have done really well in those small segments, both Peugeot, Citroen, and to a lesser extent DS, um, and to a much lesser extent Vauxhall, Opel. But um, yeah, it's going to be a challenge because they are good little cars. I've been in them. I've driven them. And and as a as an A and B segment selection of cars, they're cracking little cars. I think the the challenge from a brand strategy perspective, though, is it, it comes down to the fact that we're not all driving Stellantis's. Most most customers won't know that what they've just bought is part of the Stellantis group. Not even in the you know in in the sense that a Skoda owner knows that they're buying something from from VW. Um, so there's no there's no progression path that says it makes no sense for Alpha to have a Mito because there's a 208 GTI. And the logical step from somebody who bought the 208 GTI is to then buy a Julia. Yeah. You know, you, you don't have that product as stepping stone, which I think Alpha's missed as a brand. And I, I question whether the fact that they've got something completely unconnected on another brand in the portfolio will ever do that job. Yeah, so that's a really good point. Um, my, my local dealer, for example, for a long time ran a bath in the sh same showroom as as Alfa Romeo, but that's changed recently. Um, they've uh, shipped Jeep in uh, next to the Alphas, which, uh, you know, there's barely any overlap in my eyes, and a bath shuffled off, off across to the other showroom building with Fiat. Um, it's been thought about before, hasn't it, with the Abarth brand, and uh, I, don't, I don't see direct, uh, you know, link between the two. No, I mean, I, I can see from a dealer perspective, if you had a bath and and Alpha in the same showroom with no Mito-sized car, when the, the a Bath customer comes back in and is looking for something bigger, it's an obvious step. I, I actually think the Jeep thing's really weird because um, I, I suspect that part of the reason for, for Stelvio not being the success that Alpha thought it was going to be is the fact that they're trying to sell an SUV in a Jeep showroom. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, with a bunch of people who are dedicated to selling Jeep SUVs, frantically yeah. trying to cross-sell everybody off off Stelvio. Yeah, I think you've got a good point there. It's it's unusual, isn't it? Do we know if um, I'm showing my ignorance now, but do we know if there is the the brand loyalty, the likes of which we have for for brands like Peugeot and Citroen? I know there is in the classic market. You know, if you if you're into your old Citroens or your old Peugeots, then you know there's no breaking you away from that. But is is do you think that still applies for modern cars? I'm not convinced it's the same that 
you know, if you're going to buy a new 308 or 3008, I don't, I don't think that's because you're brand loyalist to Peugeot, is it? Or, or am I mistaken, do you think? No, I, I think you're right. Um, I, th I think there's some elements of it, like, oh, I'm always a Ford man, I'm always a Vauxhall man. But I think today that's been lessened to a great deal. Mm. Do you know, I think a lot of it is down to the great British public in particular's can't be arsed attitude. You know, yeah. I've got a Peugeot, it's been running well for four years. Um, I know the dealership, I'll go back to the dealership. Oh, look, there's the new shiny 3008. That looks nice, I'll have one of those. Yeah. You know, it's the typical car buyer that's not an enthusiast, that they, they don't want aggravation, they'll go and buy more of the same. And I, I, I haven't seen the, the data recently, but I know um, certainly relatively recently, there was a, a stat that the, um, the, the chances of you owning a particular brand um, was directly proportional to the distance you were from the nearest dealership for that brand. But there are a lot of people who just buy a car from the nearest car dealer. Absolutely. Where I live, everybody seems to have a Ford or an MG at the moment because they're the two local dealers. It's bizarre. But yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, other than that, it's down to the price argument and you get, um, you know, consumed by a fabulous deal somewhere. I think there's a strong element of that in volume. At the end of the day, though, Alfa Romeo is not a large volume seller. It's trying to appeal to, uh, it's trying to appeal to enthusiasts like us and trying to make that a bigger thing, you know, an aspirational product, something like that. F1 on the TVs, they hope, is going to sell the cars, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a strange market. It's a strange market. I, I'm going to be slightly controversial here, John, because I, I think mm. that's an excuse. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the, year after year over the last decade or so, the 3 Series BMW, which is an aspirational, expensive brand, has mm -hmm. been one of the best-selling cars in the UK. So the idea that you, if you appeal to enthusiasts, you necessarily have low volume sales i don't think is actually true yeah. i think alpha does appeal to enthusiasts and has always had low volumes of sales so that's the yeah. excuse but I, I i'm not sure i buy it no i get that uh, but you look at bmw with its scale of dealerships all over the country it's gigantic and that and that's been built up by strong products great marketing um and and the backup around it a, yep. a, a tremendous model for reselling used cars as well. So the future values uh, uh, hold up as well. And all that's done on scale. It's not without its challenges. My son worked for BMW for two years and uh, you know, it's certainly that world is not without its challenges. They've got to keep the scale up. And, um, but yeah, from a success perspective, selling I think record year 170,000 cars in the UK versus Alpha's 5,000. It's, it's just chalk and cheese, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yep. could argue Julian 3 Series are identical, you know, as, as a quality machine. Absolutely. Sort of slightly related to, to what we've been talking about so far. We talk, you talked about, I think, building in 32 countries or something across the Stellantis group. We've recently heard, I think, beyond rumours that the new small SUV after Tonale is likely to be built in, in Poland. Do we think this is the beginning of the end of Alphas being built in Italian factories? Certainly, it was It was the, the big mantra from Marchioni's days was all Alphas will be built in Italy. But this, this is where the big group comes into play. 
and it's looked at more as a, as a, at a financial level and vehicles can be produced efficiently and in much bigger numbers, uh, it would appear in the Tishy factory in Poland. So yeah, one would argue. Uh, um, that said, um, there are, um, Mr. Carlos Tavares was speaking to the Italian unions. There's investment underway in all of the Italian factories for production of Jeeps and uh, Alphas and Fiats and Lancias. So uh, Pamiliano Casino just had uh, uh, substantial investment for production too. So and that's heartening. It's good. It's also, I think, in practical terms, a bit of an anchor. It's you know, it's much harder to justify closing down somewhere you just spent huge, huge amounts of money on. Yeah. yeah. Um, than it is something where current production's coming to an end. You need to set up a new line. You know, so I, I think the, there's there's more to the investment than just yeah. the previous management's commitment to investment. I think it, it creates a a stickiness no, to the factory. You're up. You're absolutely right, and you've got to, we've got to look at what the timeline is here. Short term, yeah, look, it's looking rosy. Um, it was looking rosy for Ellesmere Port a little while ago, but with um, with the, the recent press and the commitment to zero carbon, um, it looks like that one's a threat for for the Vauxhall Opal side of things uh, and a real concern. Uh, which gets us onto that whole debate around uh, electric cars and and that having to be the future. I was just going to say, in terms of the <clears throat> the factory location, I also think we're starting to not immediately, but we're starting to enter a slightly different world in the in a sort of post pandemic world where I think both the manufacturing and distribution um, and the logistics around it they are going to start to move towards smaller, more localized manufacturing facilities to protect their risk. I don't think um, any of the big manufacturers, not just in automotive, but in other industries as well. I think this concept of having, you know, one central location where we manufacture everything um, is the way that they'll be able to protect their businesses in future, not just because of post-COVID, but for a number of different financial and, and logistical reasons. So I think this is going to become the norm, actually, spreading it out. It, it, for me, it, at least, it doesn't change, you know, the heritage, the history or the Italianness of the brand. That, it, that there's factories making some or some models in other countries. It's just, it's just the way the world's going to have to go. I think. And I think it's it's not just automotive. I think it's much broader than that too. Well, and yeah. I, I don't I don't think I've ever seen anybody criticise the the current Fiat 500 range for not being Italian enough, and and they're all built in that <laughs> factory in Poland. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing is the group's got four design centres now: um, Auburn Hills, uh, Paris, Italy, and Germany. So, you know, that's that spread out too. Uh, maybe we'll see some amalgamation of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what, what the tension is between design and, uh, and engineering, because the platform sharing mm. is, is, is one thing, but what the vehicles actually look like and where that's done is another thing. So you, you could mm. end up with, you know, all brands on the Giorgio platform uh, being done in Italy and all brands on the the 208 platform being done in, in yeah, Paris. In, you could. You could but you could that. end up with all volume cars being done in Russellsheim mm. you know, with, with the platforms being engineered in various different places. I don't think it's at all obvious how they'll split that up. Another one interesting to see. And, of course, um, head of design is Jean-Philippe Pluet, 
X of PSA. Um, I wonder how that will will ring out for us. I'm sure there'll be Italians involved along those different design areas, but uh, he's got quite a portfolio of brands that he's responsible for, hasn't he? In terms of design, yeah. it's not yeah. everything, but it's a it's a big, a big portfolio. Chunk. And then the other half of the portfolio, uh, which I think includes Fiat North America, but none of the other Italian brands, um, has gone to an American who um, we kind of know tangentially, David. Yeah, I think he. Um... Uh, well, we don't know how to pronounce his name. It's either Gil, Gilles or, or Gilles. Um, but he's a big Alfa Romeo fan. He's got a lot of classic Alphas. And uh, and you can find him on uh, on YouTube as well. He did a recent video with the um, Arock USA team um, where he did a, a remote webinar and he walked people around his his uh, his old GTA. And But yeah, he, so he's a big Alfa Romeo fan. But it didn't look like he's got Alfa Romeo responsibility as such but he's certainly no he's still around in the design units and and Plouet's got what Citroen DS Peugeot Opel Alfa Romeo Fiat Lancia uh, and I guess he's got the the responsibility for deciding how to nail the budgie on the front of the the Opel to turn it into a Vauxhall but that's that's a hell of a range of um of brands to be looking after as long as it's not, he's not in charge of nailing a, a, an Alpha badge on the front of an E two O double O eight directly and calling exactly. it Alpha. I don't mind. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and 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 when you look at what PSA have done so far, and I know they've had to move really quickly since acquiring the GM Europe brands. The Opal Corsa is a two O eight, but yeah. it's actually quite distinctively done in terms of the you know the C pillar is completely different. Uh, the light structure at both ends is completely different. If you didn't know that it was a 208, you probably wouldn't guess from looking yeah. at it. But the Vauxhall is the Opal Corsa with the Vauxhall badge on. They're, they're almost identical. Yeah, no, I get you from that angle, of course. I mean, we could, we could, you've only got to look back a, a few years in Alpha's past and see the similarities between the Fiat Tempra and the Alpha 155. You know, same doors, windscreen and so on. But not that many people notice it. No. <laughs> not that no. there's many of either of those left now, of course. <laughs> We should we should also talk really about the, the the big change of the new boss of Alpha coming in, shouldn't we, Guy? With we definitely should. Jean Philippe Imparato, who has an Italian name but is French, uh, although he he calls himself as close to Italian as he can get. He worked in Italy for two or three years as head of Citroen brand there, and is by all accounts an Alfista, which is great. Yeah, but I don't know an awful lot about him other than what I've read recently we were talking earlier on about somebody we did know another frenchman with a, a citroen background in in arno leclerc who was very much front and center of of alpha's 110th anniversary celebrations such as they were back in the summer mm-hmm. uh, he seems to have disappeared altogether yeah quite bizarre i'm sure he'll turn up somewhere but but no that was that was another move where's mike manley ended up he's back in jeep usa is he or is he what is he I think he is. I think he's head of the Americas or something. Yeah, okay. it's um, it's a slightly more wide ranging role than just Jeep, but obviously it's, it's his Jeep background yeah. that have put him in in mm. pole position for that. He clearly had a a less than ideal job uh, coming in uh, on on Alfa Romeo um, and effectively having to chop back on on the grand plans for the mark. So I'm sure he didn't ha- enjoy having to do that. But clearly, he's been seen to have done a good job, and he's getting a bigger role in America. The other thing that'll be interesting is mm. is what happens in terms of geographic coverage, because I think there's a there's a widespread. We talked about Vauxhall. Obviously, Lancia, like Vauxhall, are only in in one market in Italy. 
you've got Citroen who are actually reasonably strong, I think, in the, the Middle East and North Africa um, mm. because of the French influence, but are primarily a, a European mark. Peugeot have had some success in Latin America, I think, and, and were planning to re-enter North America, but again, are more of a, a Eurasian brand, if you like. You've got Dodge and Ram who are purely North American brands, probably a little bit of Latin American, but but essentially america's brands so you've actually only got a handful of halfway global brands you've got fiat mm. who have you know huge operations outside of, of italy uh, you've got maserati and alfa romeo and that's about it really isn't it yeah who else is a global but jeep jeep, jeep obviously is the biggie jeep yeah. makes the money yeah yeah so so at the moment you've got 14 brands of whom four are global two are huge but not quite global in terms of, of peugeot and citroen um, and then the rest are, are very much ge- geographic specific. Yeah. So, and, and the one area where neither PSA or FCA are doing a tremendous job is China. And that's, I gather, a, a, a core focus going forward now. Which brands are going to really take that forward there? I, I do not know yet. Because Dongfeng, who are the, the minority stakeholder in Stellantis, uh, I think that came from a Citroen joint venture, didn't it? I think Dongfeng Citroen mm, is yeah, that rings PSA's presence in in the Chinese market. But I think from what I was reading the other day, they they pretty much pulled out of China with the Western brands, if you like. I I think the question is probably more: how long will it be before there are you know Stellantis owned or Stellantis invested Chinese brands? Yeah, selling globally and and selling into Europe. Yeah, going the other way around. Yeah, yeah, we could well see that. I mean, yeah, there's no manufacturing done by the group out there, bar the Dongfeng influence. Whereas, for example, BMW, we were talking about actually physically build cars in in China and sell them on. So FCA, PSA, neither of them have really managed that to date. It's a gigantic market. It's ten times the size of the UK, isn't it? China, and if anything, growing. And there appears to be this new. uh, push for electrification there too and that'll be the big thing is of course electrification over the coming years i think every every brand has some electrification already i think i read within five years every single range will have electrification as well yeah i think Tavares was stretching a point a bit when he said that so uh, yeah he said every brand would have by the end of the year which but by that i assume he's including tonale in in that because alpha has nothing today and Fiat, the 500e, is just starting to. I think it's actually yeah. arrived in on driveways and plugged into houses yet, but it's it's, it's proper pre-production. You can order one. Yeah. So very, very much looking forward to Tonali. I must say. I mean, we've been we feel like we've been waiting long enough, but it's only been a couple of years. But uh, from the material I've been reading lately in Italy and from unions too, it looks like the um, Pimigliano is going to be set up for production in June. So the first, the first, well, we should really call them pre-production vehicles, maybe rolling by June, July time. Uh, partnering as well, uh, obviously the GTA, the magnificent Alpha GTA, GTAM was announced in June. And it's only now in Casino that they're uh, putting the first ones together as kind of pre-trial production on that line. Right. Great to see a video on that the other day. So it's that kind of lag um, from... Uh, core announcements to production and, that, and that's an existing model with with uh, relatively minor changes um, you know, getting a whole new uh, production line together takes time and it's electrification too and, and you name well, it and, but, and i think pretty much the best we've ever got here is is kind of november december first deliveries 
for continental Europe and yeah. I mean March, April, May time for, for us of the following year. So That's um, it. it looks as though we're just over a year away. Yeah, we're hearing, we're hearing promises, aren't we, of potentially February, March next year here. Oh, fingers crossed. Well, and I do, again, without being pessimist about it, I think the COVID um, pandemic's really knackered at all, all manufacturing timescales, isn't it? So I, sus- I suspect there was a period of probably six or seven months when there was just a straight slippage you know any any plans that they yeah. did have they just knocked it all back six or eight months and and started over so yeah I'm, I'm not i'm not sure that alpha have have been slow i think their plan was probably a lot more optimistic than we're experiencing now it's just that the whole world's gone back six or 12 months isn't it i think you're absolutely right um if i look back at you know past articles yeah six, about six months seems to be correct if anything, I was I was positively surprised when they say that they're going to actually show the physical built uh, physical production car this summer, and and for it to be on sale by the end of the year. I thought it'd be even further back. There's um sorry, just a just a an observation. There's no real mention anywhere of Mopar, so it, it's definitely in mm. the group, but it it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb now, doesn't it? When you look at all of the other brands within Stellantis, there's little Mopar there. I'm just not sure that. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what my thoughts are about the future of Mopar or whether that there's an opportunity for global expansion there or if it just withers away and dies in time. I think, yeah, it, it, it almost certainly makes sense to have parts distribution and accessories marketing at a Stellantis level, mm. which is effectively what Mopar did for, for FCA. Whether it's Mopar that are left in, in charge of that or not will be interesting. I th- from from my perspective, I think the the way Mopar's handled things from an Alpha perspective or from an FCA perspective has just ended up confusing a lot of people. They've got no idea what Mopar is or why they should be going to Mopar for accessories, and and you know it's 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 not obviously Alfa Romeo. No, any anybody who knows is it's kind of Detroit heritage. Kind of wonders wonders why Jeep are selling. Now for accessories. I remember when it was first launched uh, many moons ago now, and um, it was it always struck me as extremely strange. I always think of Mopar and muscle cars, not buying uh, wiper blades from a wife's Mito. It was most bizarre. Although, of course, that's I mean, it was always their main business was selling wiper blades for for US cars. It, it probably was. was yeah, the, the performance accessories bit was always a, <laughs> um, a kind of halo sideline. Yeah. It's always it's always how we got to know the name though, wasn't it? You know, Mopar Hemis and all this. <laughs> yeah. So we we've talked a lot about platforms and 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 brands and one of the things that we're you know constantly having conversations with members about is uh, it's probably fair to say the hugely variable UK dealer network uh, or retailer network as as Alpha would call them. Is there anything that either of you have seen in in PSA's dealer network that jumps out and says, no, that's what we need to do. We need to emulate what what PSA have been doing. Yes, you know, frankly, uh, it's hard to say yes. That there's an there's a shining example in my local Peugeot dealer or 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 what have you. It, it, it's difficult, isn't it? I've always rather liked the homely, low, small scale nature of the Alfa Romeo dealerships I've used. I've been quite lucky in the living in the East Midlands. We've had good ones. We've had I've been sport for choice, you know, and and I've always again through the club been able to to um, as a local area organizer as well to build a good relationship and i still enjoy that uh, recently had the joy of taking my uh, my daughter's mini through um 
for BMW service and was all over the local BMW franchise. And it, it felt huge. It was like taking the car into a cathedral. And, uh, you know, and the waiting room for the service was like um, an airport lounge. It was gigantic. And it, it just wasn't for me, to be honest. Yeah, it was efficient. And they relieved me of the 300 quid uh, that I did get back, by the way. But it, it wasn't a great experience. Um, I, 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 again, I've, I've not really used a lot of the French brands um, facilities, but I get the feeling that they're all much like the Fiat ones are, which are fine, just big, you know. Um, I like the smaller nature of Alfa Romeo and kind of personal service where that can be provided. I have to admit that um, a couple of years ago, my, my wife's always had an Audi for as long as I can remember. And uh, and every couple of years when she thinks she wants a new car, I have to sort of take her around the dealers and sneak in Alfa and, and what have you, because otherwise <laughs> it would be too obvious. So so I need to get her into an Alfa and it's an ongoing ongoing challenge but as part of that a few years ago we did go into the local citroen and and um and and peugeot dealers and truthfully the aim of that was you know you you go into a citroen dealer and then you go into an alpha dealer and she'll be wowed by the cars what actually happened was she really liked you know citroens and she really liked the Peugeot. Yeah, yeah the thing that put her off and and it's still stuck in her mind is she'll she'll see a fabulous Peugeot and, and it, I, th- I forget what it was a three something um, and she really loved the design loved the look of it loved the interior and it had this you know 100 bhp 1.2 pure tech and she wouldn't touch it with a barge pole so um, yeah. I think talking of the dealers both Citroen and Peugeot they were small dealers certainly in my neck of the woods they mm-hmm. were nice mm-hmm. they were pleasant people the the you know the sales guys weren't pushy they were you know, they were understanding of our needs and so forth. It was a pleasant environment and quite small, sort of on par with Alfa Romeo. So mm-hmm. certainly our experience whilst we, or she, uh, liked the look and feel of the cars, but but sort of dismissed them on the basis of the, the power plant. I think when you combine mm-hmm. those with a, a hybrid and electric motor, suddenly the power is transformed. And the dealership experience, certainly in recent years, is, was very good there. I was impressed with them. And they're not massive, great BMW places. They, they, are, mm-hmm. they seemed friendly, clean, and, uh, and you know, nice environments to car shop. And there's not, um, you know, we talked about the fit or lack of fit between Jeep and Alpha and, and Abarth and Alpha. There's, there's nothing in the new group that, you know jumps out and says it would make much more sense to co-locate alpha with citroen or persian no i don't think so no no No. i don't think so i think a lot of that will be down to the local franchises and and which groups have got the alpha brand and that'll be sorted out at a local level i think within those franchises yeah well yeah we've talked about the the brands and uh, the multi-brand manufacturer that's always used as the benchmark is is vw mm. but even they've had some some odd little diversions so i think the reason they hired water to silver from from alpha was to turn say into volkswagen's alfa romeo a sporty yeah. brand which i guess you could you can look at it from two ways they sell a lot more Seats than stellantis sells alfa romeos mm. but i don't think it's ever acquired that sporty image to no. the point to the point where they had to launch Cupra to try That's and right. turn Seats into the sporty know. brand. It's bizarre, yeah. isn't it? Really quite bizarre. That's always been the brand that it feels like they don't really know what they want to do with it. It's yeah. bizarre. 
and you uh, you've got some overlap but i think it's a lot more clear cut with with vw in terms of you know vw is the the premium high volume brand which is i think how stellantis are now describing peugeot and and citroen mm. Skoda's very oh, Skoda as it is morphing into on the TV adverts is is very clearly the the budget brand which was the niche that Seat fit initially yeah that was why they bought Seat yeah. in the in the first place yeah and then Audi's the the BMW competitor and that there's there's overlap you know there's overlap between the the Golf and the A3 and but it it seems to be a lot clearer in terms of differentiation than if you look at the current Stellantis portfolio, yeah, you know, Fiat have have shrunk in most markets to being just the 500, um, although the the Tipo's somewhat bigger in Europe. But then, if you look at the golf sized segment, you know, the difference between a 308 and a whatever the Citroen is C4, yeah, and <laughs> shows how well that that's working, <laughs> and and an Astra, yeah, to yeah. me, there's no. There's no obvious, compelling reason why you know Citroen had a reputation for innovative t- technology and fantastic ride and you know, yeah, the, the, yeah. the wonderful, if horribly unreliable, suspension system. Yeah, but they've not got that anymore. They're they're McPherson yeah. struts like everybody else. Yeah. So how do you make a decision between a Peugeot, a Citroen, and an Opel? And this is it. We've gone round in a circle. I think it's back to where's well, your nearest dealer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. closest yeah. to dealers. It's, it's that, yeah. it's attitude. I've got nothing wrong. I've got nothing against the VW group, but I do want them to give Ducati back to the Italians. I think if they did that, <laughs> yeah. they, they'd go up in my Agreed. estimation for sure. Absolutely agree. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I have no particular positive feelings for for Lamborghini, but as a as a division of Audi, it seems to be a even less Italian than than it was before. I guess the, the other thing we've talked about in passing a couple of times is the we talked about platform sharing and we talked about you know every every range having a, a hybrid, but we didn't talk more generally about about power plant sharing. So David's talked about the the Peugeot Citroen PureTech engines. I think there are certainly the Astras still using some of the stuff that came out of the the GM Fiat powertrain business. Mm-hmm. You've got the the Julia and Stelvio engines, you've got the really nice 1.3 Firefly Firefly engines. Yeah. yeah. So there's there are probably too many power units out there. Yeah, yeah. Do you and know, it, I, I, I my feeling with those is that a lot is going to be linked to emissions regulations. They're probably ramped. I doubt they want to pour a lot of money into development there. As long as they're hitting the next emissions targets, then the concentration will be on electrification. I think that's going to be across the industry, to be honest. It's going to be all emissions requirements led. Um, and all of those, well, most of those engines you mentioned are relatively new, the Firefly in particular for FCA. Yeah. And um, that's got further investment. There's a 1.5 version about to appear, I gather. And uh, and it's super efficient, et cetera, and can go alongside uh, FEV, obviously. Uh, the 1.3 yeah. versions in the new FEV uh, Jeep on sale in the UK, uh, Renegade. And uh, that is going to be the underpinning in the Tonali uh, Fev variants as well, I gather. Potentially with a 1.5 flavour as well with more oomph. Right. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think initially we might end up with a 1.3 variant, which goes very nicely, apparently. In, 280 horsepower. Yeah, uh, yeah, getting on that. Both ends working. Yeah, getting on for that in, in 
reality yeah and goes very nicely apparently we'll see but yeah I, I don't see massive investments in new in new gasoline engines and they'll probably just keep them keep the ones running that that work minimize the investment and changes to existing drivetrains and then go headlong into the the bev um end of things yeah, although, uh, although some of the um legislation that looked as though it was going to mandate batteries mm -hmm. seems to be backing off you know a lot more of those regulations are being are being rewritten and they're saying well of course we we meant we were going to include hybrids in those i hope we that all, happens. always intended to yeah i do hope that happens and it's going to vary by market and you know there's investment going on in other renewables uh, uh, sources like synthetic petrol well, that seems to be the favorite one now you know that would be fabulous if that can be ramped up on a, on a realistic uh, level I, I guess from a, a a wider industry perspective it doesn't matter what's banned from 2030 onwards the installed base of, of internal well, combustion engines is going to be huge for a long time of course it is. so things 30 like, years yeah things like synthetic petrol are still going to have a place do you think with the Stellantis when you look at all the brands in Stellantis do you think the days of Alfa Romeo halo cars are numbered or over now because when you look at those other brands they don't they don't really have the concept of a halo car do they you know it's sort of a no I mean Pe Peugeot have always been big on Peugeot have always been big on showy concept cars so they'll go yeah. to Geneva with a concept that you can tell from looking at it is never going to become a, a road car. <laughs> um, so some of which have been stunning over the years. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, a, a GTI is about as exciting as the, the actual range ever gets. Mm. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I guess it depends on how they define the niche, because if it's a, you know, if it's a, a niche executive sporting brand to compete with, with bmw and mercedes i don't i don't think you can be credible without them so i think if you want to carry on selling julia's up against three series you have yeah, to have gonna, an m3 competitor you've got to match them yeah and try and stay a step ahead and yeah they were just about doing it with the gta gtam and uh long may that kind of thing continue yeah and, and I, I guess it's that stretch because yeah the m3 and the quadrifolio are uh, the comparable neck ones, neck, but then, you, really, yeah. but then yeah. you've got you know BMW doing lightweight and CSL versions, and and that's the kind of GTA GTAM yeah, yeah competitor. Um, and I, I I guess when you build them the way they've been built, you know when you outsource most of it to to Sauber and Hinwell anyway, um, it's not that expensive to do no. if they if they cover their face in terms of of the cost, yeah. you know, as a halo. I guess yeah, it's it a fairly easy thing to justify. Yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah. You've only got to sell 500 of them. You've not actually got to build them because you, yeah. you're just basically sending half-finished platforms to Switzerland to have the the carbon bits bolted on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it would, it would be a real shame. Yeah, let's, let's hope they carry it on. Um, I mean, I hope they'll do some uh, more 4C type things that there'll be money given to low volume um, vehicles like that as well, that you hope carries uh, an interest and reflects on the rest of the range. If you were suddenly given the, the position of being uh, both Harold Wessler and um, Poulet's boss, um, what would you tell the design and engineering teams to to build under the Alpha brand, 
that's that's such a tough one. <laughs> it really is. I, I very much like what they've got today. Um, uh, and when it comes to an Alfista or uh, the Alfisti out there, um, I don't think you'll get a common set of responses back. You're often um, focused on what's out there today. Um, I personally would like to see the uh, the Julia and Stelvio continue that type of model size. Those markets, uh, they're not huge, but they appeal to me. I'd love to see us get back into coupes. I really would. Um, but that market's minuscule. I'd still love to see us in it. I know uh, people often say all the four series sells really well. Actually, against the opposition, no, it doesn't. Um, it's still a small number. Uh, incidentally, the current one looks absolutely horrendous in my view. But anyway, um, <laughs> gopping is the word that I see <laughs> yeah, most frequently used to describe um, BMWs. <laughs> just awful. Who signed that off? But that type of car, I'd love to see Alfa doing. And I'd still love to see something along the lines of a 4C. I love the 4C, don't get me wrong, but we know it for sure in a few areas. Fabulous thing, though. Uh, but something, you know, small sports car still being built, a, a super saloon, a really super looking coupe. And of course, get back to two seaters with spiders and GTV equivalent. You know, uh, it, it, we're talking about small numbers anyway, even yeah. when they try and sell. Uh, in big selling markets, uh, why not just make really good cars that have got that proper sporting credential and make money on those? And do use use platform sharing to make it cheaper to build, but have you know fabulous suspension, fabulous uh, body styling, equipment, and so on, uh, lightweight, and and still lead on under all those mantras. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. All over the world. Yeah. Well, for me, I think um, I, I agree with everything John said. Ironically, I think, <laughs> though, I would add that um, despite the um, the sort of the, the level of um, controversial debate on our social media platforms. The SUVs are incredibly important to us and they're big sellers. So, so obviously within the context and scale of, of Alfa Romeo, a big seller doesn't have to sell that many actually to, to be a big selling Alfa Romeo. However, things like the Tonale, maybe a smaller version of that as well in future, um, as long as they're hybrid and or electric in time, they will sell. And I think there's a, there's a real a chance here for us to... You know, when we when we spoke with uh, Damien Daly <clears throat> a few months ago now, mm. um, he didn't say as much, I don't think. But, it, you know, there, there's a sort of an expectation on any car brand that you probably can't exist on tiny volumes. It's fine to have small volumes and some halo cars and what have you, as long as you're also selling some reasonable volumes of your, you know, your run of the mill cars. And I think Alpha shouldn't make a run of the mill car, but they should make SUVs and they are popular and the volumes of sales will probably significantly outnumber our saloon cars despite our love of Julia and so yeah. on. So I think Agreed. I think you know a lot of people just hate SUVs and and you know we see it on Facebook all the time. Oh my god, it's another SUV. Well, that is what the market demands. And mm -hmm. you know, if anyone's going to make a cool SUV, it's going to be Alfa Romeo. So I do think that needs to be a real focus of ours in the coming decade or so until the SUV, you know, phase wears off. 
and we can go back to normality. But while it's popular, we'd better we better get in there um, with a super range of SUVs. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I think um, I, I maybe maybe in terms of priorities, you know, I think a, a Julia Coupe is just so easy to do. I think it's almost criminal that they haven't done it so far, and I'd love to see one of those. Yeah, a two-seater Spider and a and a GTV replacement would be lovely. I think a Spider's pretty much essential to the brand. Personally, I'd like to see a a Julia Sport Wagon as well. But yeah, you know, I, I think again, people talk about small volumes, but you know, BMW sell more M5 Tourings in the UK than Alphas sell Alphas. Um, so it it's not yeah. it's not a small volume niche in any. Um, in any sensible way and i mm. i think the big question for me and we've touched on it a couple of times is how far down you go in size and i i, I think a, a julietta sized car yeah makes yeah. absolute sense i think it's it's the perfect entry level size for the niche that they're in um it's the audi a3 yeah I missed that out of mine, uh, to be honest, because I drove um, when one of our cars was in for service. I uh, I drove one of the last Juliettas only last week. Uh, it was the 120 brake 1.4, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a car this size again, but with twice the power in it? <laughs> It'd be brilliant. Yeah. Um, I miss them. I miss them. The other thing I would really love them to do, and I, I think it's probably the most forlorn hope and and actually one that would probably upset a few purists. Um, I'd actually like them to do what other manufacturers have done historically and stick with the brand, the, the model names. Mm-hmm. When, when the all new Julia comes along, I'd like it to be called a Julia. Yeah. Rather mm-hmm. than every time there's a, a new model generation mm-hmm. coming up with a completely new set yeah. of names. I, yeah. You know, that, the difference between the first BMW 3 Series and the current one is, you know, that there's absolutely nothing in common there. The the yeah. current ones are nearly twice the size and you know much more luxurious. And but people know what a 3 Series is exactly. Whereas you have I, to explain. I don't think, think non Alpha customers know what the models model names are. Um, so and actually, can't pronounce I, them. No, I can't pronounce them. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, some somehow Fisty get confused about what fits in in what size, and so I, much as there is a historical basis to thirty threes and one five nines, and I think just stick with what you've got. I'll look forward to my uh, plug-in sud in the next few years. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. plug-in yeah. Alpha. Why not bring it back? <laughs> Alpha sud's an interesting one, isn't it? Because that you probably would have to have a. It would have to be built at Pomigliano. You couldn't oh, it'd have, have a, to be, yeah. You couldn't have an Alpha Sud <laughs> built in Poland. That would defeat the whole object of bringing the name back. Okay, so we're coming to the end of the time we've got. One of the other areas that I did want to talk about because it's it's such a fundamental part of Alpha's heritage um, is motorsport. And I, you know, the the first first rumor I heard the day that the Stellantis deal was was finalized was that Alpha would be pulling out of Formula One because Peugeot didn't want to want to go there um there's there's currently a rumor that um sauber will become the new renault junior team um with a an investment from renault and i can't work out whether that's people within alpha trying to stir things up with the peugeot guys and and Mm -hmm. kind of getting them to the point where they can't bear to have renault steal their their f1 team from them but there does have to be some kind of 
or you would hope there's going to be some kind of review and rationalization. So I guess the two questions are, what, what do we think will happen and what would we like to happen? Gosh, that's a difficult one, isn't it? I think uh, Alfa Romeo and F1 has has worked to a degree. I've certainly started in, uh, to more enjoy the racing, seeing my brand out there, even if it's uh, battling for scraps, it's still up there on the biggest stage. But there's going to be some big arguments, aren't there? I can just see it right across the piece. There's always the Ferrari angle for um, the Italian involvement. And there's that big link up with Ferrari for you know the delivery of that Alfa F1 car. You can see uh, Peugeot, the long history in rallying and uh, sports cars um, as being the sporting brand from that angle. Um, it's difficult. I'd like to see uh, Alfa back in touring car racing in a, in a bigger way. There's going to be some uh, element of it in the pure ETCR with a all-electric Julia racing. Whether that'll hit many headlines, I don't know. There seems to be more TV time for the... Um, sports car series, the global ones and, and national ones on Sky. I think there's going to be a Maserati out pretty soon. The MC12 is going to be uh, competing in that. I've seen images of it anyway, whether that will get the, the full factory backing, I don't know. But uh, I'd like to see Alpha carrying on with what it's doing and also top-level um, top international touring car racing. There is a real overlap there. I mean, Peugeot, I think, are pretty much committed to Le Mans this year mm. and for the next couple of years under the, mm. the new regulations. Yeah. And, and uh, there's been talk of harmonisation of the the hybrid F1 and, and Le Mans engine regs, but that seems to be a long way away, <laughs> a way which, off, is, a bit, a way which is a bit of a shame because it might give a, 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 a different non-Ferrari reliant route for, for Alfa yeah. into F1. Rallying seems to be struggling at the moment but but citroen and peugeot and indeed lancia have a, a yeah. long illustrious history and fiat come to that yeah in rallying so it's not obvious who would who would go there opal Vauxhall in the uk alpha peugeot and citroen have all been big in in touring cars over the last yep. 10 or 15 years so i guess the question is you know if you if you have 14 brands do you try and use motorsport to promote multiple brands and certainly P psa had peugeot and citroen competing in in touring cars simultaneously yeah yeah um, absolutely so it'd be interesting to see what they do yeah yeah i have to say i think the f1 probably does only have one year um, but whether that's because of renault or independent of that is is another question yeah, that's my gut feel too is uh you know they've got the agreement the budget set aside for this year but i'll be surprised uh, if we see it going further and that'll be a big shame. It will. I mean, it'd be more of a shame if they don't do anything. Oh, gosh, yeah. If it's out of F1, but not into touring cars or something. Mm. I think the challenge with touring cars, which has always been the case to a certain extent, is that it's such a tiny audience compared to oh gosh, yeah. Uh, yeah. to F1 and, and even to Le Mans. I think you know, the, the, the BTCC has a reasonable audience in the UK, but, but doesn't yeah. have any exposure beyond that. And the European equivalents don't have any coverage. No, that's right. TCR's right. reasonably popular on Eurosport, but reasonably mm. popular on Eurosport can be 650 viewers. It's not. Yeah. You, you could argue you'd get more bang for your buck uh, sticking adverts, you know, more broadly across Sky of different things. And uh, yeah, is motorsport the thing that sells cars anymore? I'm sure there's lots of people out there that do analysis on it. The recent changes at Renault, though, that's that's an odd one. When, when you look at um, Luca um, De Mayo the chief exec at Renault, he was effectively sort of um, 
fired by Marchioni, wasn't he? I think when, when he was boss of Alpha or Alpha Europe, I know when, uh, when we launched the Mito, Luca de Meo was sort of, you know, Marchioni's little protege, but they had a, some sort of falling out or, or, or what have you, but he, he was sort of pushed out. He's now running Renault and it's him, I think, who's just fired Cyril, what's his name? The, the uh, Renault Formula One boss. Cyril Pitbull. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know about Renault, actually. I think they're going to be, um, I'm not convinced on their future in Formula One and, and equally unconvinced about Alfa Romero's future in Formula One. I think it would be a huge shame if we left, but it must be sinking a lot of money. And I think in, you know, yeah. in the real world, um, you've got to, you've got to marry up that amount of investment versus the return uh, against where else you could use that money in Alfa Romeo. The, the slight concern I have is that the, the more you roll up and roll up those monies up to the Stellantis group, they're actually tiny amounts of money. So, uh, you know, a yeah. part of me thinks, yeah, I imagine it's very expensive, but part of me thinks on a scale of things on, on the Stellantis yeah. scale now, you know, a few dozen million for an hour for a Formula One team for brand awareness and so forth is small fry. But I don't, I don't think that'll protect it from, uh, from being stopped in the next year or two. No, and I, and I guess the other thing that is happening is that all the budget caps and things have come in for F1. So almost by definition, it's got cheaper. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I suspect the 21 budget's not much less, mm. um, but the 22 budget should be. Mm. So, and if you look at if you look at investment and what's going on, Renault's changing its name to Alpine, isn't it, or Alpine, however you want to say. Yeah. Alpine, yes. In racing, yes. Uh, and and what? And that's one car, the A110. Yes. And then it sells in minuscule numbers. Fabulous a vehicle as it is, it sells in minuscule numbers. So you know some somebody in that group's thinking that's a wise investment. <laughs> so thanks to John and David for their thoughts on Alpha's place in the Stellantis firmament. As always with these things, more news has emerged since we recorded this podcast. We now know, for example, that the Sauber-Renault talks are off, although we don't know any more about Alpha's future in Formula 1 beyond the end of this season. But there are new rumours about a switch to Formula E alongside DS, which should be confirmed or otherwise within a month or so, as entries need to be submitted to the FIA. And talking of DS, we now know that Stellantis has designated DS, Alpha and Lancia as its three premium brands, Maserati is the group's only luxury brand, and that the three will share platforms and powertrains. The good news is that the person in charge of managing the overall strategy for the three brands is Jean-Philippe Imperato, whose main job is as the head of Alfa Romeo. That's it for this episode. We'll be back on the 28th of February at 1.30pm from all your favourite podcast sources. So until then, stay safe. (laughs) 